This week on Next in Marketing, I spoke to Kara Pratt. She's the SVP of Kroger Precision Marketing. We talked about how the company is looking to differentiate in the exploding retail media category through partnerships with Roku, Pinterest, and Pandora. Kara also talked about the company's push into private data marketplaces and how the grocer has already been able to deliver 500 billion personalized experiences to shoppers. Let's get started. Everything we know about the media, marketing, and advertising business is being completely upended thanks to technology and data. We're talking with some of the top industry leaders as they steer their companies through constant change. Welcome to Next in Marketing, presented by AppsFlyer. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Next in Marketing. My guest this week is Kara Pratt. She's the Senior Vice President of Kroger Precision Marketing. Welcome, Kara. How are you? I'm great, Mike. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. It's it's a I'm excited to have you because it's a fascinating time in your space that was not even really a, an industry seemingly a couple of years ago. Um, and I'm talking about retail retail media, which has just exploded in the last couple of years, and the, every forecaster is upping their numbers for 2021 and 2022. So it's, timing is great. Tell us tell us about like I think new. I know Kroger because I used, I went to school in the Midwest. Not everybody in New York probably knows the company that well. Can you give us like the overview of Kroger's footprint and and then I want to get into how how the process of getting into the advertising business was. Yeah, absolutely. Listen, Kroger is America's grocer. We're in 35 states across the country, number one or two share in each of those states. Uh, not just under the Kroger banner, but through different acquisitions over the years. Uh, you know, you head out to California and Ralph's is owned by the Kroger company mm-hmm. uh, in the Colorado. It's, you know, King Supers and City Market, Fry's in Arizona. Uh, so lots of different banners sit under, un, under the Kroger uh, halo. Uh, but a, a, a massive retailer in the U.S. Uh, that's been around for over 130 years. Uh, and uh, not only is it core brick and mortar, but uh, there is uh, different businesses that sit that Kroger drives as well. Murray's Cheese, which many folks in New York do know, sure. uh, that's owned by the Kroger company. Home Chef, uh, which is a leading uh, leading meal kit solution provider, owned by the Kroger company. Uh, Vitacost, uh, so many folks are, are going to Vitacost.com uh, to order uh, different vitamins and supplements, owned by the Kroger company. So lots of different entities, uh, but uh, truly America's grocer and the number one uh, grocer in the U.S. and a Fortune 17 company. Uh, so we're, um, we're, we're thrilled about uh, the, uh, the, the opportunity that we have within uh, the retail media business to leverage that rich asset and customer trust and to make brand advertising work harder, uh, which yeah. is uh, what our focus has been uh, for the last few years. What I remember about Kroger and, and supermarkets in the Midwest when I got to school was that you could buy booze in the supermarket, which I thought was wild at the time because you can't do that in New York. It's it's separate liquor stores, which which was very exciting, even though I was not I was underage for most of this time. Not not in every uh, state, but uh, no. but yeah, many, <laughs> many states that we operate in. Yeah. Um, okay, so before I get into the advertising story, how long has you mentioned how Kroger's been around forever? It's a huge footprint. How long have you guys been serious in the? Um, in the e-commerce space, but, but, uh, did the pandemic kick that out into another gear with something you've been building for a long time? Where, where has that been the last couple of years? Yeah, I'll tell you, the, the pandemic uh, certainly accelerated customer engagement within digital uh, digital properties and shopping online and picking up in store or having direct home delivery uh, in grocery, uh, but uh, it certainly didn't start uh, through the pandemic. You know, Kroger had okay. been preparing for this for, for many years. 
Uh, and, and now, you know, north of 90% of the, our customer base, which obviously is a great reach across the United States, uh, has access to engage with our digital assets, whether they're, again, shopping online and driving to the store for it loaded in the back of their car, or they want uh-huh. things uh, delivered directly to their homes. And that all uh, really uh, was kind of anchored future forward investment choices, uh, operational planning and coordination years ahead of the pandemic. And so, uh, you know, we're, we're pleased with uh, the opportunity that we had to, to deliver uh, to uh, to our customers across the country when they needed us most. Uh, and, right. uh, and obviously now we've got an accelerated engagement and interest as customers sure. realize that uh, it's not so bad to have somebody else do the grocery shopping for them. Yes. Once you try it, it's really hard to go back. It's very true. Um, okay. So the pandemic, a pandemic accelerated your e-commerce business like it did for many uh, companies in your space and any, anybody in retail, really. Uh, when do you, when do you stay, you know, cause I, I wonder, okay, so there's like all these companies like Kroger, Instacart and CVS and Walgreens are all in the advertising business in a relatively short period of time. How hard is it to get into, is it, is it literally like, you know, you make a deal and put some code in your site and you're off to the races? Is it elaborate process to get into advertising and do it right? Like, can you tell us what that's all about? Yeah, I'll, I'll certainly share. It's, it's not sudden. Uh, and, and uh, you know, the, the, the purposeful planning, uh, not just strategically on the investment choices that, you know, you want to make on behalf of a company and create the right experiences for advertisers and, and shoppers. Um, but really making sure you have the right technical foundation that underpins. Uh, and so we think about the, the tech infrastructure, uh, the scalable systems, the clean organized data to unleash science. I mean, that's really a magnificent asset that we have where 96% of our transactions are tethered to a loyalty card. We can longitudinally watch people's behavior change over time. Uh, the intelligence we have both on actual transaction data as well as derived data and being able to leverage that, our data scientists can leverage that intelligence to predict audience um, uh, audience recommendations and optimize for audiences and then close the loop for measurement uh, is critical. But that takes a lot of planning and a lot of investment within that tech infrastructure. Then you lock in on operations, the right business processes, the right ways of working, uh, the right business logic on when we want to uh, kind of throttle on and off uh, on our owned properties, uh, any advertising opportunities for brands. Uh, and, and finally, of course, talent. Uh, domain expertise across functions, not just a, a selling org, but product and engineering and data science and media operations and uh, campaign operations and ad ops. Uh, all of those really need right. to come together. So uh, it's not uh, it's it's not as easy as a quick spin up, uh, but it's certainly really powerful when you get it right. Uh, and of course, we're leaning on the backbones of um, in- incredible trust within within our consumer base, incredible data asset. Uh, the pandemic acceleration, Kroger w- is the only grocer in the top 10 uh, e-com players in the U.S., was fourth fastest growing last year. And so wow. uh, a-, a lot of opportunity ahead. And, and most importantly, uh, it's good for consumers and it's good for brands. And that's really what we're focused on. So, okay, what now that th- there's a lot there on unpack, but what when you talk about the people don't think about, I think, I think people sometimes assume it's like just adding AdSense ads to your site. You just like, you know, do it. And it's, and it's automatic, automatic. You got to hire a bunch of people. You got to build teams. You got to find experts. Is that, does Kroger precision marketing encompass all of the people that work on your advertising business? Is there, is that, is there 
is that also the loyalty card division? Like, t- tell us how that looks. We do. So uh, Kroger Precision Marketing sits uh, within 8451. 8451 is a wholly owned subsidiary of the Kroger company. Okay. Uh, and think of 8451 as the analytics and activation engine uh, of the Kroger company. And so, again, we've uh, got incredible tech teams uh, across product engineering, data science, leveraging, kind of enabling our data scientists to leverage that rich customer intelligence uh, to create the right uh, recommendations for our advertising assets. Uh, the advertising business is not just on O and O and search and kind of traditional display. Uh, we have we have that capability, and of course, there is interest from uh, from particularly e-commerce teams as uh, on the lower funnel, more performant nature of advertising choices. But yep. we also have the opportunity. Uh, in an appropriate kind of privacy compliant way to create access to our audiences off property as well uh, in the programmatic space, uh, as well as through some direct relationships with the likes of Pinterest and uh, and Pandora and, and Facebook and others. And so um, one of the, the big announcements that we've had this year was just about six weeks ago when we announced at Advertising Week our, our private marketplace uh, where uh, media ad buyers uh, and agencies are, are direct uh, for some of the mature CPGs that want their own team's hands on keys. Uh, they can gain access to uh, through deal IDs uh, to anonymize data to then deploy uh, within their own restrictions that they have within their brand advertising assets, again, and uh, in, in a, in a you know, privacy-compliant, productive way for them to frequency cap and uh, measure the performance of their media. So uh, the media business for uh, for uh, maturing retail media players, and I say that because we're all pretty young uh, at, sure. uh, at this, it's a new industry, uh, really does go well beyond uh, kind of the, the traditional O&O search and display. Uh, you can create um, kind of you know, targeted offers to incentivize trial. You can uh, kind of inspire through different social handles. You can, you know, with, through us, uh, you know, connect with uh, with folks uh, through through Roku's assets as well, right? And it's all around uh, pre-optimized upfront audiences as well as measuring the performant nature of media. Okay, you're jumping ahead of a lot of my questions. I want to come back to private marketplaces. I want to come back to some of these other partnerships. Um, you said something interesting before. Uh, you're, that you're, I think you said 96% of your customers are loyalty card users. I would have guessed that the, and this is probably me stereotyping generationally. Like I think the e-commerce crowd is younger and they don't come in the store that much. So they don't have loyalty cards and the, the, uh, the loyalty card people are traditional shoppers, so to speak. But that obviously that seems like it's not the case. So what, I guess, does, what is the, what does the demographic look like? Is that changing? And then I'm, I'm curious how many of your advertisers look to drive in-store versus activity on the site with their, with the, with that loyalty card connection? Yeah, great questions. Uh, listen, with 96% car, you know, coverage of transactions, obviously we've got a very wide swath across all demos that are engaging within our asset. I think you know, it's really important to think about the value exchange that, uh, that our customers get you know, within uh, the Kroger family. And so you know, our customers know when they use that card, uh, there's deals that they get from a price value equation. Uh, they can earn fuel points, you know, for uh, to, to leverage at many of the different gas stations across Big the country right we have. Uh, yep, uh, absolutely. Uh, and there's just personalized experiences, personalized offers that can sit within their digital wallet or can get mailed to them uh, if their you know dominant choice and preference continues to be paper offers, whatever it may be. 
Uh, so that really, that, that value exchange is, which is what's most critical for us to create that connection and continue to engage across all demographics uh, with, uh, with, the, um, with the loyalty card. And obviously when folks are engaged on our owned and operated properties, uh, they're, opt- you know, they're opted in there uh, so right. we can you know, create and fulfill that experience for them. Uh, so that that's a, a bit of the highlight reel uh, for overall engagement. Uh, you know, in the e-com space, we've got engagement across all demographics as well, uh, and that's been really fantastic to see uh, the uh, you know the the kind of adoption that sits across uh, all different demos uh, for those experiences. It really, just speaks to you know customers' expectations have evolved, uh, and again, you know, the pandemic has transformed uh, some folks in, in thinking differently and engaging differently. You know, forever, and it's it's caused other people to tap in earlier than they may have previously yep. and you know they they like that experience uh, i think your your second question mike was was tagged more to advertiser and advertiser interests is that right yeah i'm, I'm yeah like i was i'm just wondering how many um are the, most um, i think believe most advertisers in retail media are trying to drive purchases or interest on on the owned and operated properties but i wonder how many brands are trying to tie together uh, advertising on their on your properties and other places and their loyalty cards. Yeah, maybe that's all, maybe that's all over the place. I'm not sure. Yeah, you know, uh, you know, I spoke a, a little bit about how the full funnel ecosystem of advertising assets that we have, right? Whether it's uh, you know programmatically buying or anything in social properties off our uh, you know own app uh, or website experience or email kind of activation, the the vast majority of our uh, of our campaigns are multi channel. Uh, and mixing uh, across, you know, our O&O and our offsite properties. Uh, the performant nature, once you can hit people multiple times with a message uh, and be really precise with the right message. And again, we've got this unique ability to carve out a single brand may have multiple creative assets that are getting fueled yep. for different audiences based on their behavior. And that's really the power of this first party data uh, to create a more engaging connection point and then use a wide swath across what the you know funnel has been, although we're we're constantly seeing it look more like a pipe because you can be more prescriptive across all those different mm. touch points with who you want to who you want to communicate with and what you want to say uh, to entice and engage and inspire. So um, again, the, the majority of our investment choices really are running through for brands, you know, tapping into all different parts of that funnel. Interesting. Um, I want to come back to how brands are doing the 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 multi platform marketing with you guys. But um, just take a step back. When you get into the advertising business, Amazon, when they, when they started selling advertising, the you know most of the analysts were talking about how that money was coming not from traditional or digital advertising budgets, but from shopper marketing, in-store promotion. That was like the, like the low-hanging fruit. I think that's changed a lot over the past few years. But was, the, was there a similar pattern for you when you were talking about who, was the, who were the first advertisers and where the money was coming from? Was it the in-store guys moving dollars to digital? Was it digital dollars? Was it all? Was it was it a variety? Yeah, I think the reality is, is there's lots of different pools of money that that CPGs have. They're intended to, um, you know, influence different different you know parts of. Uh, of kind of the consumer journey, if you will. There's always been brand dollars. There's always been trade dollars. There's always been shopper yeah. dollars. Uh, and, uh, you know, newly over the last, you know, four or five years, there's uh, kind of e-commerce specific investment choices that folks mm-hmm. are making. Um, now, the 
the kind of utilization of those dollars is starting to blur, right? And the reallocation of different traditional kind of pools of money uh, is absolutely taking shape. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think that's largely driven by the recognition from, uh, from advertisers around the intensity uh, and intentional nature of how we invest uh, a traditional TV awareness dollar uh, relative to a more traditional conversion search dollar. Uh, the KPIs, we often talk to our advertisers about KPIs across that funnel. Uh, and if you're looking at awareness versus consideration versus conversion, we, we have an opportunity to create pre-optimized audiences to different KPIs. Uh, but we absolutely throughout that will hold media accountable uh, and it's really around brand outcomes, business outcomes. It could be mm -hmm. around driving share. It could be around driving household penetration. It could be around driving incremental, you know, incremental units and volume. Uh, and so, you know, that's really the focus that we have and why these pools of money are starting to converge and that brands ultimately are taking some step back and thinking about where can I invest uh, these dollars to drive the best brand outcome? And more and more, it's becoming retail media. Uh, and, uh, you know, retail media can play nicely uh, with traditional awareness investment choices that, that brands have, particularly when we've got pipes flowing in the right ways with some of these, um, you know, major, um, major kind of publishers. Well, on that to that point, do you think there's been talk that eventually this 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 growth in retail media and and its and its closeness to digital advertising in general is going to force some of those groups and the big brands to come together or even you know no, no longer need to exist the silos are break down. I don't know. That's there's a long history with a lot of these companies of of having those divisions with different goals. Do you think that's going to start happening? Uh, I do. You know, in fact, we already see it starting to happen. Uh, and it is, um, you know, that also just like, you know, retail media doesn't, you know, happen overnight. Uh, it's in a sustainable way. Um, breaking down uh, those historical behaviors uh, kind of and the, the kind of operational structures that sit underneath that, let alone the cultural dynamics across different parts of, uh, of a CPG org. That also takes time and it takes sure. intentional uh, intentional messaging planning um, and kind of alignment to uh, to kind of common north stars. So yes, um, you know we do we do see that happening. You know there's uh, there's really mature, <clears throat> excuse me, really mature brands and organizations that are starting to test the waters uh, in really meaningful ways to, to do just that. Uh, and uh, it's great to see. You know that's that's the future of creating a more connected, seamless advertising ecosystem for brands. Ultimately that lands much better on a consumer, uh, the content right. and, and kind of when they're seeing content, how they're seeing it and how they can engage in that uh, becomes more purposeful. And I think that's one of the real um, you know, benefit stories to the consumer uh, as content and commerce converge, consumer expectations are different today than they were just a couple of years ago with, sure. with their expectations for seamless shopping. Uh, and again, as retail retailers become media companies. They were always commerce, you know, practices and providers on behalf of brands. Uh, now, as those two, you know, really start to synchronize in meaningful ways, uh, we're seeing advertisers recognize the real power there to drive brand growth. Right. Um, okay. So I want to, I want to get into some of your more sophisticated, <laughs> you keep hinting at all these, these cool things you're doing with, with data and uh, mapping customers across their journey, but in, in, starting from the top, like who are your, are your biggest advertisers simply uh, brands who sell with you guys who were just putting out promotions? Are they trying to get new stuff discovered? Is it competitors trying to, you know, sway customers at the you know at the quote unquote at the register? Like, what is it? What is the you know the the biggest part of advertising business look like in practice? 
Yeah, I mean, today we're working with uh, publicly. We've shared over thirteen hundred brands. That's a that's a last year number for twenty twenty, and I wow. can uh, tell you that we uh, that's significantly accelerated in twenty twenty one, and and we'll share some public numbers in in future. Uh, kind of investor relations days uh, that, that Kroger will carry uh, with the investor community. Uh, but the power is there. The retention is strong. Again, year ago, uh, 1,300 brands, 85% retention year over year, increased investment from those brands coming in. Uh, and so again, you can kind of That's feel the time. momentum continue to come forward and, and the acceleration carry uh, carry beyond that. Um, a, a lot of uh, the the interest from brands is because we're driving increased effectiveness of media investment decisions. That also leads to efficiency to view, avoid wasted impressions, particularly uh, in the more traditional kind of blast awareness channels. Yeah. Uh, so better targeting, and we talked about the longitudinal view of the shopping behavior. Uh, you know, overall, we're seeing three times higher attributable return on ad spend against the average shopper because of this rich intelligence of who's the right people to expose. You get that into connection to commerce, which we talked about. Uh, that really is around product discovery, uh, and you know whether that product discovery then you know stays just there or it moves into add to list, add to cart, or buy now type features. And then right. you get into meaningful measurement. And so we're really focused on uh, on enabling brand advertisers to make smarter decisions, move beyond what. Um, the industry has accepted for decades around traditional media metrics, click-through click rate, CPM, you know, purchase intent through survey data. Yeah. Uh, and let's get the real, real. Let's understand the performance-driven measurements, sales lift, hustle penetration gains, share gains, et cetera. So, you know, that as all those different pieces connect, uh, that's really why we have so many brands leading in. Uh, and that's why we have so many brands leveraging uh, the, a variety of the different assets that we have, whether it's targeted coupons, whether it's search, whether it's our relationship with Roku and kind of discovery through TV. You're seeing more shoppable moments happen in those kind of awareness placements that'll drive people into action. Okay. So you you led me to my next question, which is um, we, we keep talking about how you 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 have you have this great you have lots of different advertisers. You have, a, you have a great, you have a pool of logged in customers and, and also folks who have loyalty cards. You have relationships with these people. So you're, you're seeing, you're in a great position in this, in this moment where the, 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 the cookie money, you know, so to speak is up for grabs, right? The targeting is going through this big change, but I would assume so many of your brands, the, the brands that sell brands that sell in supermarkets, the, the, the knock on them, if there is one, is that they don't have first party data, they're going through a third, you know, retailer, they don't know enough about their customers. So are there enough uh, of your existing sellers that can take advantage of your first party data and, and targeting if they don't have a lot of data themselves? Or am I, or am I selling them short? Yeah, well, I think the... the... They absolutely can, because most of our uh, CPGs that are investing within our assets aren't really looking, uh, leveraging their first party data they have, right? There's some there's some fracturing of first party data that consumers are willing to give brands because they need to really recognize what is that value exchange they're going to get? How many relationships mm -hmm. can they have uh, with different brands? How does that kind of manifest itself? I mean, I, you know, I don't... Uh, have the latest stats uh, kind of in, in my head relative to app usage, but there's a lot of apps on many people's phone and there's sure. few apps that people use, right? So, so some similar mm -hmm. uh, kind of symmetry as we think about how many brands does a human want to have a relationship with? But they do want to have relationships with grocers uh, or in other retail industries where um, they can uh, they can create experiences that are meaningful and wider scale for them. So most of our CPGs, their interest often is in leveraging our multi-category longitudinal purchase-based data uh, because 
it's not only indicative of behavior for that brand or for that category, uh, but we can uh, look at behavior across time and across an entire store and not only just look at the absolute first party transaction data, but also derived behavioral intelligence, likelihood to engage in innovation. Uh, there's different screens that we can do uh, with uh, and just looking at actual behavior and data, not survey data uh, yep. that can allow brands to understand, hey, is this pool uh, of a consumer base that has XYZ attributes that are meaningful for my brand? Do they also tend to be early adopters for innovation or do they are they laggards? I want to go after those early adopters. I want to expose them. Uh, you can extend into over, you know, other derived data assets too about price sensitivity, flavor preferences, cross category affinities, uh, and that all sits within our first party data. And that's really where uh, a lot of brands are seeing such incredible value to tap into our assets. Uh, some of the the more mature ones want to bring their data to the table too, and obviously we mm -hmm. can do that in uh, in some protected ways. Well, okay, so what are what are some how do, how does that work if brands want to come to you with first party data or using some kind of data lake? Have you built something yourself? Like, how, how does that look right now? Yeah, obviously, we, we have to keep our data in a controlled privacy compliance safe environment. Yep. We, we control that uh, environment. And we can we use, uh, you know, outside data onboarders to, uh, to work those matching on the back right. end. Um, but all that then stays, you know, controlled and contained. Right. Do you have given that you're there, everyone's hungry for first party data right now, and you have a, 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 a nice pool of it, do you do you find brands that are outside of the Kroger universe coming to you to that don't they don't sell in your stores, but but want to maybe match up with some of your targeting data and reach people in an unexpected environment, or does that not make sense? Yeah, we have. I said, you know, the first four years we were really intentional in, in you know focusing in on the core CPG, uh, where we can deliver on our commitment to media accountability, which is what we've talked about since the mm -hmm. beginning, uh, and that's because of all the behavior we have in our stores with our CPGs, and we can deliver on not just the targeting aspect, right, to drive a higher performance you know, impression, uh, but also measurement standards and really close the loop and understand that impact uh, on on a, a business outcome. Right. You're trying to Over, prove the business in the beginning. You don't want to take so, the want to make stuff that's going to it's going to be most provable. Exactly. So when you get into the non-endemic space, obviously, um, you know, we don't see all the flow uh, of all those, right. you know, final bits of behavior, but we have had people come to us and QSR and auto and insurance and some other places and say, "Hey, uh, is there something we may be able to do uh, and leverage some of the uh, kind of the the kind of aggregated anonymized buying practices that you have to help us work harder. Right. Uh, and so we're, we're exploring those conversations. We know the demand is there. Uh, and, and, you know, really honestly, we want to be able to walk into that uh, and be you know, as confident on both ends of that pillar, right, for audience optimization recommendations as well as the measurement standards as we are for the core. Uh, right. But the, the demand is there. The interest is there. Okay. How do you – I would – this is probably a challenge for everybody. Every retailer who has either – that has the brick and mortar or not that if they're, if they're getting into the advertising business more, it's fast growing. It's, it probably feels like, wow, this is found money oh, Let's do more, but you don't want to screw up your, 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 your primary business is still your grocer, right? Like you need to not mess up with that user experience, not overdo it. How do you find that balance where, where, where you're not shoving ads at everybody every every I, second and making it easy to use? I love that question, Mike. Uh, it is so important, uh, you know, balancing user experience and advertising on our owned and operated properties, absolutely. And of course, uh, frequency capping off property as well and putting sure. those standards in and uh, and looking at, uh, at brand safety, you know, standard expectations as well. Um, personalization sits at the heart of our strategy. Like we're leveraging that promise and customer intelligence and our media practices every day. Because ultimately, success is measured by engagement 
and brand outcomes. So last year, 2020 data, we served over 500 billion personalized offers uh, wow. and experiences to digital shoppers last year. We have features on our, our digital properties like Start My Card or Did You Forget that's personalized based off of behavior we've seen those shoppers engage in, uh, whether it's brick and mortar or in our in our you know e-commerce assets. We can kind of uh, connect and, and collect all of that information. So uh, we've got all of those appropriate signals that are fueling the personalized aspects of the site experience. Then when you overlay the business logic for advertising, uh, that becomes a, a, a powerful overlay for to, to drive inspiration. Uh, and so I think you know it's really critical for, for retail media uh, programs to get comfortable with that balance that they want to have. Uh, you know, we've got uh, we've got different business logic that sits on the back end based off of loyalty to brands in different categories that we won't allow the disruption uh, of other competitive conquesting to take shape. That's not the right customer experience. It's going to be a wasted ad dollar. It's going to frustrate our end user. Um, and, and ultimately, so you, don't, you don't want people you don't want uh, competitors trying to just like bombard people and hijack their their and pull them away from other other partners. That's not a good experience. So we're controlling all of that. So for mm -hmm. folks that are incredibly loyal to a particular brand, that's, that's a bad experience. So we can throttle yeah. that at an individual user level. Uh, and again, that's where back to your question of you know, how easy it is it to spin up. Well, uh, if you want to have um, really strong practices and and you know get those guardrails set up, that's delivering the right CX in the end. Uh, it yeah. takes it takes time. Uh, and of course, this can't you know, be a dumb platform that just serves ads whenever somebody searches for something without any thought. That's not the best. That's not the best user experience. Which ultimately, you know, we want to make sure that we're yeah. focused in on on you know click to conversion ratios on our O and O, and so right. that factors in immensely on how we balance personalization uh, with interest from advertisers influencing demand and discovery. Right. Okay. Um, big picture. We talked about this. How retail media is just taking off. They keep upping the forecasts. Everyone's getting into it. It seems like people feel very good about twenty twenty two. Uh, I just wonder, can you know, and from you, where you're sitting, can this continue? You've got if, when you have when it, when a crowd when a category gets crowded like this, and then you also have like things like supply chain and inflation. Like, can this can this growth continue? Yes, is the short answer uh, mm -hmm. to all of that. I think. Um, no, Mike, we're doomed. As we as we pause, uh, as as you pause and reflect, I mean, media budgets are going to follow consumer behaviors and. E-commerce is still at the early stages of a long-term growth curve. Um, so, you know, we see the wider marketing industry really investing for the long-term. Uh, agencies, brands, publishers, ad tech providers, they're all making bets on the long-term growth of e-commerce. So that's part of a retail media ecosystem puzzle uh, and kind of the, the lower funnel traditional uh, investment choices brands have. And then uh, the more traditional upper funnel activations, ad tech's in the center of disruption. Yeah. You talked about privacy standards. Uh, we, we've uh, we've talked a little bit about that's further accelerating interest in retail media because of the kind of unique connection that we have to brands and the safety standards we can deploy through all of it. So um, we we do see this still in the very early stages uh, of growth. Uh, and um, not only is it you know good for uh, for retailers, most importantly, it's great for advertisers and it's great for consumers. And that's the flywheel uh, that makes the, this work. And that's why uh, the targeting practice, the business logic that sits underneath it is really critical because if it's a bad user experience, it's not good for advertisers and the chain breaks. Right. Uh, and so we spend uh, an, an exorbitant amount of time appropriately making sure that we're uh, that we're setting you know good standards and good practices into this ecosystem for our advertisers. But and I'm being I'll, play, I'll be a devil's advocate for a little bit. Like you, this 
the nature of this you know, like gold rush that's happened, it's it's sort of. I wonder if brands really wanted to execute buys with like a dozen different retailers and Amazon and everybody else. It kind of screams for a roll up or a network or some kind of way that you can consolidate that. Yeah, listen, I think you know retailers. Um for brands need to have enough scale, right? To have meaningful impact on a total mm -hmm. business and, and not all retailers will and do. And that's why you do see some aggregators, uh, you know, coming around uh, to, to create more seamless access points into their ecosystem. But there's, uh, there's a handful of, uh, of the major retailers that absolutely uh, can control and command and engage uh, with, uh, with advertisers directly. They have the right scale. Uh, they have, uh, you know, good appropriate business practices to fuel the right, the right, you know, consumer outcomes. So right. uh, I, I do think that there will continue to be kind of an aggregator layer for some of the, um, you know, mid-tier and, and, and smaller tier retailers to support them. Uh, otherwise, it's overly complex and overly burdensome for, for um, you know, agencies and, and brands. But um, no doubt, uh, the, the folks that do have scale, uh, they will be able to control uh, the, uh, the engagement in, into their ecosystem. Right. I want to make sure I don't forget, you mentioned a couple of partnerships that, have, that are, are, are worth exploring. Can you, can you tell us about what you're doing with Roku? Yeah, uh, Roku has been a great partner, uh, obviously, as the CTV uh, continues to grow and consumer demand within uh, within their content continues to grow. Uh, really, uh, the playbook is the same as the playbook for any of our off-property assets, and that's where uh, we are uh, we are kind of fueling their uh, advertisements with the right audiences, the curated audiences, uh, based off of different brand behavior that, that advertisers have interest in. Uh, they're pushing that content within their properties, and uh, we get exposure data back. And we then measure at an aggregated basis the efficacy of that advertising. Uh, we're seeing uh, incredible interest from brands, obviously, as, as CTV demand broadly grows. Uh, and the effectiveness of that media spend has been very powerful for brands. So uh, really very similar playbook. We want to make sure when we're creating direct relationships, we're doing so uh, based off of consumer and industry demand for some of those different placements and, and, um, and publishers. And so we, we announced that relationship about a year and a half ago, uh, and it's been great. We think we're still in the early stages of different experiences that can happen uh, as, they, uh, as they continue to innovate within their platform as well. Wait, so walk me through a hypothetical. Um, Velveeta Shells and Cheese is running ads on Roku, and they will buy it. They'll buy some, they'll buy an inventory from Roku, use your data, and then some track back through loyalty cards or other, or other, other means, track back whether that was effective or something like that. They'll use, yeah, they'll use our audiences. Uh, we'll essentially talk to them and engage directly with Roku and, and you know, Kraft Heinz in this case, and we'll look at uh, what is the business outcome they're looking to achieve. We'll leverage our audience intelligence and create curated, pre-optimized audience kind of aggregated lists, uh, kick that over so Roku can deploy, and then they will kick us back exposure files. Uh, and then we have the ability to, to uh, measure the effectiveness of that ad relative to a synthetic control. Uh, so again, we're truly looking at what the, accelerative, uh, the accelerators are for our audiences relative to uh, somebody that was unexposed. Right. So, I mean, that, that feels like that could be a really big deal because as I mean, CTV is also exploding, but attribution is kind of all over the place, especially with, with traditional brands when it's harder that for, to attribute purchases and they don't, people don't shop on Roku, but do you, do you see potential to expand that to beyond Roku and have that become a bigger part of the CTV landscape? We do. Um, we do. So I think, you know, we're, we've got a, a team that's constantly focused on our portfolio uh, and, and publisher ecosystem and evolution there. And, 
Uh, I think that uh, I, I have no doubt that there'll be more innovation that happens within our media business in that space, uh, as well as you know staying close on the evolution that continues to take shape with data-driven linear and more traditional uh, mm-hmm. TV environments as well. I think, again, the technology underpinning TV is continuing to transform in meaningful ways. And appropriately, brands are demanding uh, kind of greater intelligence within those different investment choices as well. So I think the TV landscape is just you know fascinating, dynamic ad insertion as that continues to uh, yeah. take shape and obviously enabled through uh, more of the kind of digitized screens um, through CTV. So you know, I think, I think H- advanced TV broadly is going to be a, a place where we continue to focus um, just because the, the technology, you know, is, is um, accelerating more quickly in that space, right. uh, the volume of investment. And so uh, the opportunity for brands to be, um, to, to be more performant in that channel, which traditionally has been a pretty wide scattershot uh, yep. and starting to get, uh, get much more uh, kind of zeroed in on the audience and, and, and the brand outcomes is something that's going to be powerful for what right. about a $70 billion media industry. You guys just need to start your own streaming service, then you'll be, be able to just do the full closed loop. I know, you know, content is king, and, and uh, <laughs> that that would um, that would definitely necessitate some 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 you know unique content. Yeah, you also mentioned uh, Pinterest and Pandora. Can you briefly run us through what's going on with those for those folks? Yeah. So again, real real similar playbook where uh, it really is enabling those publisher platforms to work harder uh, for consumers. And so there's no doubt, uh, particularly in Pinterest, they've got incredible data signals and intent signals uh, that are coming through their platform. And that's fantastic. And uh, what we have a unique ability to do is to overlay uh, actual purchase data uh, signals on top uh, for for kind of curated uh, audiences. A lot of those then click through into uh, our, our commerce site. So again, connecting an advertisement to uh, not just intent to buy, but moving into basket and, and, and out the door. And so we uh, very similarly, uh, we're, we're pushing audiences over, relevant audiences over and curating that. And then uh, as they push that within their site, within the, their own signals that they use for their other advertising placements, we also you know look at the exposure files there to, to prove the efficacy of, of um of the the investment and so uh it's uh it's another great relationship i think you know the the content that pinterest has is uh is incredibly strong uh and our intentions in the media business for all of the off-property assets is how do we make the publisher ecosystem work even harder Uh, and Mm -hmm. you know we see this kind of performant nature of media investment media choices just being um, just being something that's going to continue to drive really active uh, expectations uh, appropriately for brand advertisers. And we think we've got a unique asset that can uh, not only make the targeting more effective, but uh, again, back to content and commerce starting to, to converge. Um, that then is just an accelerator uh, and, mm-hmm. and drives the return on ad spend and household penetration gains, et cetera. Very cool. Um, a couple, couple more for me. And I, I, I'm wondering. You, you made me think of this, given how complex the it is to run an advertising business through a retail property. And you talked. You mentioned how many things you have to consider and build. It, it strikes me that I kept saying it should be easy. Google. You could just throw AdSense or something on your site. Why didn't Google? Shouldn't Google have built this category or someone like that? I'm, I'm, it surprises me that one of the incumbents didn't take this and run away with it before this started? Yeah, I think 
what's critical is to have that right relationship, right, with a, with an end consumer. And when, you know, there's uh, no doubt that folks go to Google uh, and, and other kind of search properties to explore. Uh, but more and more, uh, you know, that exploration, you ultimately need to land the place to buy. Uh, and, and retailers and grocery in particular, uh, we've got unique visibility into this behavior over time. And so mm-hmm. uh, to be able to curate the, the right relationship engagement create a seamless you know frictionless ecosystem it's different in grocery than it is when you're buying tvs as an example you're going to buy a tv once every couple of years uh, maybe once a decade you're buying groceries yeah many people are buying them multiple times a week yeah uh, and so the the frequency and the signals and then you know building baskets and you know, data. 50 70 100 items uh, at a pop not just a single item it takes right. a different degree of uh, of data collection uh, and um, you know the ability to to deliver the right experience end to end, not just on fresh items, but across the entire store. Uh, and that's where, uh, you know, grocers and Kroger as uh, the leading grocer in the U.S., we have a unique right to win here. Last one for me, you kind of just hinted at it. I wonder, I've heard this sentiment from other folks, you've invested so much in your advertising technology and data and, and what you're doing. Has that informed your, the way you just display uh, products for non-advertising listings? Like, can in other words, can your what you've built help uh, recreate the in, the discovery that happens in store? That it's just like the serendipity when you're going out shopping, and you notice something in an aisle. Like can can your ad, ad technology kind of recreate that, or is that something you're aiming towards? Yeah. So for us, it already does. Uh, personalization science uh, again fuels the general um, engagement within our within the web property. Right. It, it's fueling what products are displayed uh, and and kind of in from PLA perspective, right, in search. Uh, our personalization science is fueling overall visibility across each slot on the slide, on the yeah. site. And like I mentioned, uh, depending on uh, people's uh, loyalty in particular brands and categories, uh, we may turn off the ability for competitive conquesting and brands to come in to try and expose themselves. Uh, that is uh, that is different business choices that we make, but that personalization science uh, is active and fueling, back to the 500 billion personalized experiences I mentioned earlier. The intelligence we have on behavior also manifests with recommendations that go into brick and mortar as well uh, about uh, category adjacencies across aisles, about what's, you know, what leads the aisle and what are uh, the different placements and and, uh, overall kind of breadth of different, you know, brands uh, and sizes and flavors that sit on the shelves. Uh, It fuels different, you know, price and promotion recommendations uh, that that obviously are influencing the brick and mortar site as well, our brick and mortar experience as well as our digital sites. So, uh, there's there's no doubt that um, the uh, kind of the, the the customer footprint, whether it's walking through our stores, whether it's on our digital properties, is absolutely um, being you know being accelerated uh, in the right ways to create that right experience to ultimately drive uh, you know add to baskets and you know average order value growth and uh, repeat purchase into our properties or repeat purchase into our stores. Right. Well, it does, it certainly doesn't seem like it's a passing fad for you guys. It seems like the uh, the investment is pretty pretty intense here. Um, awesome stuff, Kara. Thank you so much for for taking time out. Great conversation, and uh, hopefully we'll, we'll we will keep in touch down the road. You bet. Thanks, Mike. Appreciated the time, and uh, I look forward to staying in touch. Thank you. A big thanks to my guest this week, Kara Pratt, SVP of Kroger Precision Marketing, and of course my partners at AppsFlyer. If you like this episode, please take a moment to rate and leave a review. We have lots more to bring you, so be sure to hit that subscribe button 
and we'll see you next time for more on what's next in marketing.